What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. Today, I'm joined by Joe House, and we are going to run through some of the biggest games to get Joe's picks. But first, something that we've been following, House, whether or not the underdogs or favorites are winning each week, why don't you enlighten the lovely listeners as to how things have been going? Yeah, we love this time of the season, Sharpie, because, you know, we have enough of a sample size to start you know, drawing some conclusions, observing some trends, and and trying to uh, look for some value out there in the betting market. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about the rate of success that the underdogs were having and anticipated, predicted, told all of our betting buddies out there, beware of the favorites. Well, we've had two straight weeks of favorites after the first four weeks all about the underdogs. Don't call it a comeback. The favorites have won the week of both weeks five and week six. This uh, most recent week, week six, the favorites went eight and six, but there was an opportunity for folks to really clean up in the first part of Sunday. The The, the favorites went seven and oh in their early afternoon uh, this most recent week. Packers, Chiefs, Rams, Colts, they all won. They won big. They covered big numbers, a couple of them. And you know, if you had your your teasers and your parlays out there, I hope your bank account um, reflects the success that you deserve. Now is the time, of course, Sharpie, where we want to be careful. A couple trends out there, count contra trends. Um, one thing for sure, I'm keeping an eye on teams that start off four and one, five and one against the spread. Once you get to this week five, week six situation for them, uh, they they tend to underperform against the spread, and that's because you, I guess, are setting numbers that fit the, the, this the right way. Uh, uh, 36% in the next game, that is teams coming in with a 4-1 and one or 5-1 and one against the spread record. And uh, an underdog coming in against that, they cover 71% of the time. We have a couple of instances here, a couple of opportunities, perhaps. The Packers fit this. They're 5-1 and one against the spread. The Cardinals I, are either 5-1 and one or 6-0 oh against the spread now. So those are the two. Now, I don't 
I, I don't know what I'm going to do about the Packers game, but the Cardinals laying 17 and a half against Houston, that's just a f- big fat number, and I'm not going to be able to to do it. Um, but just, you know, look, we're trying to come up with with some some observations about this point of the season. One of the things that I know you and Ben Solak talked about on Wednesday's cheat code that I was looking very forward to for today's show is how these numbers are landing in the totals space and, and particularly the prevalence of the six and the seven and, you know, just just in terms of, of some spreads and some some totals. Um, what is that research showing you? Well, first, I do want to comment on the point that you made about favorites doing so well last week. I think everybody needs to be aware that when that happens, sportsbooks are going to overinflate some of the numbers. When you're looking at some of these big favorites, do not think that that is the legitimate number that some of these books should be. Lay, uh, some of these uh, books have set. They're putting an extra little uh, cherry on the top there to try to get a tax on you for taking the favorites here. They don't want the favorites to continue to have as good of a week as they did last week. These guys have to answer questions when the public cleans up. Um, uh, We're not going to cry for them, but it's a simple fact that we can try to take advantage of um, maybe looking to play a few more underdogs this week. The other thing that I think, House, that's of note is this week we've got a lot of ugly games. And when you see some of these games where the favorites are just such big point spreads, I think a lot of bettors are reluctant to quickly figure out where they want to go with their money, right? They're like, do I really want to lay this many points? Like, I don't know, but I, I got my hand up. I mean, this is me. And and the thing that that is a kick in the nuts, Sharpie, is usually I like to fade those big numbers early in the season. But so far this season, I think I looked it up. It was six and two, 10 points or more favorites have covered six out of the eight opportunities. There are three of those on a slate and it's a short, you know, it's a smaller slate. It's only 13 games, 12 now because of the uh, Thursday night game. There's only 12 games and three of those feature double digit spreads. And I think I'm going to take the the, the dumb dog in each one. I'm going to hold my nose. Historically, these favorites, as shocking as it might sound, have been doing pretty well. Um, These double digit favorites, not just this season, but historically as well. Um, The key, though, is like which team are you going to be gravitating towards the most, right? Like which team might the public gravitate towards the most? And, you know, certainly there are quarterbacks that people like betting on. And I think one could be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Like if I'm going to lay double digits, I want to be back in Tom Brady, right? Like do do I really want to be backing Kyler Murray with this big spread? Yeah, I hate the Texans, but like that's a massive number. I like Kyler, but really? Um, or do I really want to be backing the Rams here? Like, so I don't know. There's a couple of spots where it could be interesting. Now back to your other point with regard to, um, key numbers. So yes, Solak mentioned, Hey, it might be interesting to research this. And then of course I spent an hour or so doing the research. Um, so free labor here, uh, to figure out the update as of today, what the current push rates are for these games. Push rates just mean how often a certain number lands, like games land one, games land two, games land three. That means how much does the winning team win by? Do they win by one point, two points, three points, et cetera? And historically, you know, the key number, the most key number from 1990 to 2014, most games land three, about 15 and a half percent of all games land three. Uh, 8.7% of all games land seven, and that's the second most key number. So three happens the most. 
seven happens second most. And this is important for us to know because oftentimes when you have a number that's right around the three or the seven, that's where books like to hang a lot of these numbers. Should you buy to that number? Do you want to lay how much juice should you be spending? So all of those things are factors. If you're trying to do this for a living, if you're trying to do this more than just a little hobby and you don't care about you know the 50 bucks that you're throwing or 100 bucks that you're throwing on these things, if you're putting down a little bit more money than that, you need to be aware of what are the times that you should be buying to a number um, and how much you should be willing to spend in terms of juice, which is a fair, what is a fair price for this? What we've noticed, though, is that the extra point was moved back in 2015. The number of two-point conversion attempts exploded at that point in time. I mean, 2013, we only had 69. 2014, we only had 58 total two-point conversion attempts those seasons. That increased to 93 in 2015 and 104 in 2016. But the last couple of years, it's gone up even further since then, 114 in 2019 and 134 last year in 2020. And we're trending in a decent direction so far in 2021, although the sample size is a lot smaller. But over the last two years, what we've also noticed is that certain teams have gotten a little bit more comfortable with the idea that when you're down by 14 and you score a touchdown, this is another opportunity to go for two. So it's like a de facto, this is when we're also going to go for two. Um, and so you've got those instances. And what we're noticing now is that the last couple of years, and it's like a 320 game total sample size since the start of 2020, uh, since the start of the 2020 season, we are seeing that 6.9% of all games, very nice 6.9% of all games are landing six, which is the same number that is landing seven. So we have seen the value of, of the eight increase up to 4.7. It was down at 2.99 back, you know, 1990 through 2014. That has increased, but the value of the six has actually come down to being landing as frequently as the seven has over the last couple of years. And so far this season, again, the sample size is very small. We're only through six weeks of the season, but the number six has actually landed 8.5%. I expect that to regress a little bit, but the seven has only landed 5.3%. So we're, we're seeing the, the six become even more frequent than the seven, which is like, absurd and nobody would even think along those lines, you know, as, as recently as 2015, 2014, 2013, like that wouldn't have been something that anybody would even rationally ideate in their mind, but it's crazy to say, but that's what's been happening thus far. And we so. have a real life example. That's exactly what happened in the Thursday night football game a couple of weeks ago, Tampa yep. and the Eagles, the Eagles down 14, go ahead and go for it. Were they were down 14? Yeah, they were down 14. Yep. And they went for the two, they got it. And that changed the, the number the, the Tampa was laying six and a half. That was the closing number, I believe. And that turned into a winner for all of the Eagles backers. And there was this, uh, you know, there's a hilarious um, trend out there with Tom Brady in, in prime time for whatever reason. And there are probably 10,000 reasons. He just doesn't cover. Actually, you know what? There's probably just one very good reason. And it's probably just Vegas knows the public's appetite for watching Tom Brady in prime time and slightly inflates the number and and he 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 just has a a lack of success covering 
the spread over the last handful of years. And that's exactly what came to pass. The number landed on the six because the Eagles went for two uh, down 14. So exactly the point that you're making, right? Yeah, that's exactly a, a perfect example of this point. And what this also, so what are the takeaways from this? Well, number one, you know, the value of the seven is less. The value of the six is more. So take that into consideration when you're looking at betting some of these games. The other thing that it certainly should show, although I never do this and I don't advise anybody do it in the first place, but there are some people out there that like to tease just for the sake of teasing. They like to have fun with teasers and they like seven point teasers and they'll tease a seven point dog up to 14 points. The value of the seven is lessened now. The value of six is greater. You're not even going through the seven. That's a horrible teaser leg. That's that's now becoming, it's it's even more crystal clear that you should never be doing that. You should never be taking a dog up if it's if it's sitting on the seven because you're getting even less value doing that. So um, really interesting. We'll see how these numbers play out. We will be writing an article. I'm, I'm tasking somebody else now that I've done all the research to write an article <laughs> for me up on sharpfootballanalysis.com. So we're going to throw an article up at the beginning of next week at some point. Um, so you'll be able to re- check out all the research, all the numbers. I laid them all out. We got a couple of graphs up there uh, that you'll be able to read more about this. But House, let's talk specifically about this week and specifically about a rematch of the 2019 AFC Championship game, the Kansas City Chiefs at the Tennessee Titans. Go ahead and break this game down for me from your perspective. What are you thinking about this game from a side or total? And why are you looking to go one direction or the other? So I have to confess the thing that jumped off the page at me more than anything else was was the total. Because I think it opened around 56, mid 55s up to 56. And it's now all the way up to 57 and a half. I think that's the highest total over the, the, the last three years. And the thing that I can tell you as a guy that bet on the total in the Chiefs Washington football team game this most recent Sunday is the Chiefs turning the ball over on the opponent's side of the 50 yard line is very frustrating, Warren Sharp, yep. because <laughs> the Chiefs had multiple opportunities to beat the daylights out of Washington. Now, Washington. Did, didn't do their part. They only scored 13 points against that terrible Chiefs defense. And, and why I'm talking about this is because I um, am going to stay all the way away from the total in, in this game, notwithstanding the Titans' terrible defense, notwithstanding the Chiefs' terrible uh, uh, defense. I, I just can't talk myself into the scenario where these two teams are are in a shootout. We've had some shootouts this season. We've been rooting for some shootouts on this show this season, but the total is the thing that looks to me as as a as an absolute stay away. What is also remarkable well, for, to me. First let ahead. me let me let me interrupt and let me talk Please about do. The, let me talk about the total number and then I want to ask you some questions about that. So just so people know I did the research also about high totals and about numbers landing in certain spots. And, you know, typically speaking, we already discussed this before house. You never really want to, you never want to tease totals just because they don't land as frequently um, on these numbers as sides do. When you go through the three and the seven, those numbers hit at a higher rate. So you don't want to tease totals, but it is interesting to note that 
A lot of people see the number 56 and they think like the math might work out better that 56 probably lands more than 57. Um, and I took a sample size of the last five years and I looked at the push rates for totals, what numbers land the most frequently. And what I found is that the 57 actually lands twice as often, just slightly over twice as often as does 56. And if you only want to look at total games with a high total, games with a total that is set above 50, 57 actually lands five times as often as 56. So in other words, if you're looking to get involved in this game and you want to go under, well, it's perfect. You can go under 57 and a half. You get through that key number. If you want to go over, you do not want to be laying 57 and a half. You, you you want to go over something at 57 or lower simply because 57 lands relatively frequently in totals that are above 51. And in fact, there is no number, uh, let me double check this, there is no number above 51 that lands more often from a total perspective than 57 over the last five years. So that's definitely something to be aware of if you're playing totals. And let me ask you the question about this total. What is it about this matchup? Because we view you, like the, the people that are listening to the show tend to view you as like a guy who may make a little bit of money betting, but is more like them. You're you're more like yeah, the common Yeah, you can folk. call me square. I don't, it doesn't not, hurt not my necessarily feelings. necessarily purely square because I think we've educated you over the last couple of years. It's You've true. developed your, your instincts and you honed your skill a little bit better, but you do approach games sometimes with the common man's perspective. So what is it about this game, the matchup itself, that scares you about going over? Or is it that the odds maker has set this total so high that you're like, damn, I, I just, this seems really high to me. I'm just so scared of going over because of this high number. It, it's both. And part of it is, you know, the the way that I conceive of, of Tennessee's path to success in this game is a combination of turnover success, winning the turnover battle, and and Derrick Henry. And if if the game plan, if Tennessee's path to success is, is Derrick Henry, then that that suggests to me, uh, you know, a diminished opportunity for quick scores. I feel like Tennessee's best chance is to rush Derrick Henry early, to rush Derrick Henry often, for him to touch the ball thirty times, for them to hit, for him to try and rush for over two hundred yards, and that you know to me feels like a ceiling of of twenty eight points at, at most for for Tennessee, and that gives Tennessee the best opportunity to win the football game. And I, I just don't believe it. I don't believe in it. I don't believe it. So the, the, and on the other side of the ball, I feel like the chiefs are going to have their way. There's a cluster of injuries at cornerback for the Titans. Caleb Farley's out for the season. We know that Christian Fulton's on injured reserve with a, with a hamstring. Uh, they, they went through another round of, of uh, injury in the position um, over the the uh, the Monday night game. And, you know, we have on the other side of the ball, the Chiefs are getting back Chris Jones, are getting back Travarius Ward. I just don't like the sort of script 
for Tennessee, their best chance to sort of control this game and put themselves in position to win. And the, and the Chiefs have, in offense has just been, you know, incredible. It's been insane. The offensive efficiency, the 40%. This is you and, and, and Solak in the Cheat Code podcast on Wednesday, the Ringer Gambling Show. 40% touchdowns and the lowest percent uh, in, in, in the red zone, the lowest punt rate in the NFL. It's just, you know, an incredible combination. And it's been very fun to watch. They, it's only self-sabotage that slows down the Chiefs. So I don't, I, I, I really like the Chiefs. The nice thing about the number is at 56 and, and a half, tons of room for the Chiefs to cover uh, wherever this number lines up. Four and a half, I think it is now. Five, five and a half, wherever it was earlier in the week. I just like the, the Chiefs at anything less than a, a touchdown. And there's tons of room if the total's up at 56 and a half or 57. So that, that that's where my head is at. Okay, so... You're worried that Derrick Henry, they're just going to run Derrick Henry too much and those runs are not going to be as successful as they need to be against this Chiefs defense that might be getting Chris Jones back. Well, I, I think they're going to have success on the run, but I just, that's not a recipe for beating the Chiefs is the thing. And it's definitely not a recipe for scoring a bunch of points. That's that's the thesis. Okay. I, I could I could see your thought process there. Um, you know, the key for the Titans is going to be when they do run the football, they need to try to be productive enough so they're not settling for so many third downs. Now, the Chiefs' third down defense has not been very good this year, but just from an efficiency perspective, it's okay to run, especially a guy like Derrick Henry, if those runs are productive. And I think that there's a common misnomer among the uh, non-analytics folks of the analytics community that we never want any team to ever run the football and that running is always bad and that passing is always good. And that's that's just a complete misnomer from my perspective. What we want teams to do is to be efficient and to avoid third downs and to convert first downs more frequently. And by and large, far and away across the league, that's going to come through the passing game because most teams do not have run games that are productive enough to gain enough yardage to avoid third downs frequently when you run on early downs. And by and large, you will find that passing the football on early downs, particularly when the defense may be playing run on first down, is going to lead itself or lend itself to more success. But when you've got a team Like every team is different and every defense is different. And every week you should be looking at what is the optimal way to win this game. And if the, for a team like the Titans with a good running back, they may be able to get away with running the football more than you would recommend a team like the um, Chicago Bears, for example, this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run defense. Um, So it's different for every week. I just wanted to clear up that misconception about like the analyst community hates all run plays ever. I mean, we like when Baltimore's running the ball for six yards per carry, five and a half yards per carry, right? And catching the defense off guard. The other thing that's interesting here, and running does not necessarily mean that your play action game is going to be better. You don't have to establish the run in order to make play action better. But one thing that we know is that the Kansas City Chiefs are the number one most sensitive defense to play action. If you look at their splits on early down passes, when a team does not utilize play action against them, okay, and just passes straight drop back, plus 0.11 EPA per pass attempt, 7.3 yards per attempt, and 51% success. But when they use play action, 
0.11 EPA goes up to plus 0.51 EPA. 7.3 yards per attempt goes up to 11.4 yards per attempt. 51% success goes up to 68% success. On early downs, the Titans are utilizing play action 40% of their dropbacks, which is slightly above average, but they have a lot of variation week to week. Some weeks they weren't using it hardly at all. Other weeks they were up at 60%. So it makes a lot of sense if they try to come into this game and utilize it a lot more frequently, try to get up closer to that 60% mark. Um, some of the other things just of note in this game, like we we talked a few of these briefly in the last show, so I'll just move through them quickly. The Chiefs defense last week, they did try to make some adjustments. And if they get some personnel back like Chris Jones, that's the only real way that I believe their defense will improve from an efficiency perspective. But looking at them last week, it's like, oh, they held Washington only 13 points. This is a defense on the mend, on the on the rise in terms of efficiency. I would tamper that down a little bit because Washington was a mash unit. You got a backup quarterback. I mean, you know this house. That's your team. I watched the game. All these guys were completely injured. Terry McLaurin's dealing with an injury. Your tight end one is out. Your wide receiver two is out. Wide receiver three is playing with an injury. Your two of your starting offensive linemen are out. You lose. Your running back one is playing with an injury the whole game. And then he goes out halfway through the game. Like, it's a disaster. They, they, were, they were led in receiving yards by their backup running back and a tight end in Ricky Seals-Jones. So that just tells you like the state of this Washington football team's offense. Tennessee, they, they probably won't have uh, Julio here, but A.J. Brown should be back up for this game. And they do have this good play action offense, and they do have Derrick Henry. We'll have to see how the line looks without Taylor Lewan. Right. But they could be in good enough shape to kind of hold their own here and, and do well enough. I simply don't know that we are going to get as turnover prone in offense from Kansas City as we've seen in the past. You kind of already alluded to that. So for that reason, I think Kansas City will be able to score some points here. Um, I think people are underestimating this offense because the main storyline that's coming out about them is their turnovers and their defense being terrible. Nobody's talking about how efficient this offense is, how they're punting the least often of any team in the NFL, how they're scoring the most uh, how most of their drives are leading to touchdowns at the highest rate in the NFL. Um, this is just a great offense right now that is going to start working Josh Gordon into the mix at some point soon too. I mean, uh, we're going to probably see some more targets for him. And I just think that this is going to be a very dangerous offense for a weakened secondary, as you mentioned, for the Titans to try to match up with. Well, and, and just to go along with, with with that sentiment, I mean, the, the Chiefs are now in a position where they really cannot afford to lose any more games, especially against, you know, other other division rivals. The Chiefs are are playing for playoff position every single week because of the three losses that they already have. So, you know, I, I this is, to me, they put the pedal down. They handle their business. I like very much them laying whatever the, the, the number ends up being. I'm going to stay away from the total. I, if I play the total, it'll be an under. But I like the Chiefs laying the points. Okay. I, I I can't disagree with that at all. We have definitely seen a battle from the sharp from a couple of different sharp groups. Some of them were laying Kansas City, and a couple others were taking the Tennessee Titans. So there's a definite battle going on on the spread of this game for sure. Speaking of other important uh, division rivals that might impact playoff situation, the the marquee game number two, and all credit to the Cincinnati Bengals, 
It's the Bengals at the Ravens. The Ravens are minus six and a half. The total, I think, is 46 and a half now. And what a show by the Cincinnati Bengals, and particularly on the defensive side of the ball. The Bengals are four and two, and it's really because of their defense. Now, look, the Ravens have been super impressive since week one. They're one of three teams that are five and one after losing that that week one uh, season opener. They uh, have been dominating the Bengals historically. Lamar Jackson is 5-0 and straight up against Cincinnati in his whole career. He's covered the last three straight. The Bengals only scored three points each of the two times that they played Baltimore last season. The Ravens are on a nice little streak at home games. They've won all three home games this season. They won six straight at home going back to last year. But look, the, 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 that defense, they're fifth in the defensive DVOA per the football outsiders, folks. They're good on run defense. Um, and this is the, the juicy matchup, right? It's the Ravens are built around the run game. They're down to their fifth or sixth or eighth string running back now because Latavius Murray is out. It looks like a lot of Devontae Freeman this week. Um, and, you know, uh, the left tackle, Ronnie Staley, out for the season as well. So this is an interesting opportunity perhaps for the Bengals. Now do the Bengals, can they with Joe Burrow and, and, and you talked about this with Solak, Joe Burrow loves to get rid of the ball quickly. The Bengals have constructed an offense where, where that's, that's their uh, game plan. Jamar Chase is, I mean, it's hard to say hard, hard to, to he's exceeded expectations. I mean, he's a, you know, top 10 uh, uh, draft pick and and already, you know, exceeding expectations, the lead contender for offensive rookie of the year. And that combination between Burrow and, and Chase looks great. Um, what about the, the, the Ravens blitzing, though? This is the thing. Uh, we know that Burrow, under pressure, loses a bunch of efficiency. Juicy matchup. The six and a half points feel like too much to me, but I don't have a firm conviction on this one. How is this thing looking to you? Well, do you have a feel for the total? Any anything related to this game? Like, how do you see this one playing out? Do you think this is a game the Bengals can get out on the Ravens a little bit to start, or you just think it's going to be nip nip and tuck throughout? I like the Bengals getting the points, um, and I like six and a half in the context of a forty-six and a half total. Um, because that's a, you know, that, that's a getting a lot of points in a game that's sort of, you know, middle, middle class, uh, total that feels like, you know, a little bit of a, a value there for the, for the Bengals. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this is, ends up being a field goal game, I don't, I'm going to stay away from the, the total. Um, but I think both of these teams, um, like to play slow. So that would argue in favor of, um, you know, a, a, a lower kind of total. And if that, that Bengals defense can slow down the Baltimore run, then I like the, the, the six and a half. Yeah, I, I think that this game may be a little bit tighter. It's going to be interesting to see the approach that the Bengals take out the gates here. Um, as you mentioned, both these teams are bottom 10 in offensive pace in the first half of games. And both these teams actually rank 22nd in run rate. Um, and that is in the first half of, uh, sorry, the first three quarters of games where number one is the most pass heavy. Number 32 is the most run heavy. So 11th most run heavy is what these teams are tied for. The Cincinnati Bengals though, the interesting kind of 
change in schedule for them is the first three weeks of the season, they played some very good defenses. They played the Minnesota Vikings, then that game went to overtime. They played the Chicago Bears, and they lost that game to Andy Dalton. And then they played the Pittsburgh Steelers, and some turnovers by Ben Roethlisberger helped aid the Bengals in winning that game 24-10. to Then the Bengals go up against, those are all top 10 run defense, uh, sorry, defenses in efficiency. Then they go up against three abysmal defenses, relatively speaking. The Jaguars, the Lions last week, and the Green Bay Packers thrown in there for good measure without Jair Alexander. So now you're going up against from three top 10 run defenses to, or top 10 defenses to three bottom 10 defenses in a six-game span. Now you're back to the Baltimore Ravens, who do rank defensively above average. They rank 14th overall. They've played the 11th toughest schedule of passing offenses. The interesting matchup here is going to be that explosive passing from Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Are they going to be productive doing so while the Baltimore Ravens are sending their blitzes? And that matchup, I think, is what's going to determine this game, quite honestly, because we're going to see a fair number of runs from the Bengals because they do like to run the football. And then we're going to see these attempts at explosive passes. They rank number nine in the NFL at gaining 20 plus yards on every pass play, right? Like their rate of gaining 20 plus yards is ninth best in the NFL. Defensively, the Ravens are the seventh best at limiting these 20 plus yard gains from passing offenses. So that is like a strength on strength matchup there for both uh, the Bengals offense and the Ravens defense. Whichever team wins that, I think, is on that side of the ball, is really going to dictate the way this game goes because it's going to be difficult to envision the Bengals matriculating the ball down the field quite effectively against this Ravens uh, defense if they're relying too much on the pass. Now, the oddity about the Baltimore Ravens is they are a defense that has struggled on early downs but been really good on third and fourth downs. These high leverage situations is where Baltimore's defense has excelled so far on the season. Um, and why that is so interesting to me, at least, is because if you look at the Cincinnati Bengals offense, they rank 10th worst in early down efficiency in terms of their ability to avoid third downs. They haven't been quite as good. They're, the, they're 23rd. That's 10th worst in the NFL. Um, and so, you know, you're going up. It's kind of like the Chargers were last week. Um, you got a team against the Ravens who's not very good on early downs, and you're going up against a defense in the Ravens that ranks third worst defending these early downs. And if Baltimore can, if, if the Bengals can't get these first downs as frequently, something they haven't been doing so much on the season, then you're going to be in these third down situations where the Baltimore Ravens have been great and the Bengals have also been good on the season. They rank eighth best on third down. So there's another strength on strength matchup. Um, and I kind of like the Ravens chances in that one, to be honest with you. It's very juicy. And, and the idea of the Ravens laying less than a, a touchdown at home against a team that they've historically dominated is, is is appealing, especially to, you know, regular old Joe, Joe House here. But um, I've, I've just been so impressed. Cincinnati has been so competitive this season. They, they really haven't, you know, to me, looked like they're just, just getting, you know, blown out by anybody. No, no stinkers. Even that Bears game, 
where they were up against Andy Dalton. They damn near came back. They, they laid a, 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 an egg through two and a half quarters. And then Joe Burrow, after throwing consecutive interceptions, he got hot and they damn near stole that game on the road in, in Chicago. I just have been so impressed. So I, I'm, I mainly wanted to just give tip my hat to the Bengals and I'm rooting for a competitive game here. And I think we will get a competitive game. And I've been very impressed by the Bengals as well, although I still have my questions about the way that their coach is calling plays. Um, But I definitely feel like there is an edge here with both of these teams going back and forth. I kind of think that this will be a close and competitive game. It is absolutely one to watch and is actually the only game on this entire slate featuring two teams that both have winning records. So should be a good one. Well, I want to talk about another coach calling plays that people, it's very interesting that this, this point of the season, uh, a, a kind of criticism that we haven't really seen in, in, in two decades. And I'm talking about the New England Patriots who are home this week, laying six and a half points against the New York Jets, speaking of teams that, that, that you know, uh, historical dominance. The Patriots have, you know, been really competitive against what we, I think, agree are, are, are the best teams in the, uh, in the NFC and certainly in the entire NFL. They had a last-second opportunity to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a few weeks ago, and they absolutely positively had Dallas dead to rights uh, on this most recent Sunday. And you start to hear a little bit of something coming out. I think the Boston Herald had a story about the play calling coming out of, of Belichick and, and Josh McDaniel. And it's been, it's kind of an interesting thing. Now, as a outsider, I'm sitting here, you know, I'm, I'm bemused. I'm bemused and amused. I enjoy it very much. I just like the Patriots here. This is now, the side of the card where I'm looking at two different um, games that I want to play. And I want your, your, your thoughts on, I want to pay the, I, I, the idea of the Patriots laying less than a touchdown at home against the New York jets just feels like a, a terrific opportunity. The, um, the, the Belichick success against rookie quarterbacks is legendary. His success against Zach Wilson already four interceptions in the in the you know the first time that these two teams matched up, the Jets' offense uh, still kick, looks like we'll, we'll be gracious about it. So it's a work in progress, is is the way that we'll play it. And the thing that that really to me um, is is interesting about the Patriots is Mac Jones is coming into his own. He's really notwithstanding that that end of game interception um, that Dallas turned into a pick six. I mean, I just, they're, they're trusting Mac Jones more and more. And one of the things in particular that you and Solak covered on the Wednesday show that I hope we see is the Patriots taking advantage of the two, the, the heavy investment that they made in the tight end position. So I, I like the Patriots in this spot. I know the Jets are coming off of uh, a bye week, but I just like the direction the Patriots are headed in notwithstanding the criticism that the that the Belichick and his staff are starting to catch a little bit. What do you think? Um, I think the Patriots have had this really insane schedule of good offense, bad offense, good offense, bad offense. And if you look at their schedule, they opened up with a very bad offense in the Miami Dolphins. Um, they lost that game. They should have won that game 
clearly, in my opinion, was a clear cut. They should have won that game, uh, but they did lose it. Rookie quarterbacks first start. I get it, though. You're a little bit more conservative. Play the Jets, crush them, obviously, week two, another bad offense that they played. They play a mid-tier offense, the only mid-tier one uh, on the season, uh, the New Orleans Saints. And New Orleans scored 28 points there. Should not have scored 28 points. That game was far closer to being a dead-on, even game when you look at the statistics and the way that the game played out. Then you play a good offense in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you only allow 19 points. It's in the rain. Then you play a bad offense in the Houston Texans, and you're actually losing a little bit in that game. You come back and win it. Then you play a really good offense in the Dallas Cowboys. And that final score, I mean, obviously Dallas puts up 35 when all is said and done, one of which was a pick six. Uh, The game was far closer and uh, lower scoring. Late in the fourth quarter, what was it, 21 to 20 with like five minutes left in the fourth quarter? And if you held a Patriots ticket or you held an under ticket, you probably were feeling pretty good uh, there. The one thing that I will say is that we really have not seen the Patriots like win with margin or put teams away or feel really good unless you have like a catastrophe by that other team, right? Like the way that this team, the Patriots are going to play is defensively, they certainly are above average. They're 11th best in defense. Um, They've done really well against some of these premier offenses, but they're not doing enough defensively that like your offense can afford to be mediocre to below average, which is where their offense has been thus far. It's 23rd in efficiency despite playing a league average schedule. It's 23rd when passing and 23rd when rushing. It's like everything about this team is 10th worst in the league. That's what 23rd is. Um, They have to be more efficient offensively if their defense is going to be a little bit above average. And if they turn Zach Wilson over, I could see them winning this game and, and certainly covering this number. But if you're not getting those takeaways, I think this game is going to be a little bit closer. I personally don't have a dog in this fight whatsoever. The line is sitting at six and a half at a couple of sharper books. The line is sitting at seven at a couple of other books. Uh, You're getting a a nice little balance there. If you want to lay the Patriots, you can lay six and a half. If you want to take the Jets, you can find a book that's got the seven and take, uh, take the seven on them. I think that in general, this game is really tight from a number perspective. I don't see a lot of value here either way. Um, I do kind of think that the Patriots could make for a decent teaser leg, but I think that there's a couple of opportunities elsewhere. We're going to talk teasers later on in the show. Um, This game is a tough one for me to find value on. I'll just put it that way. The 12 personnel thing is definitely a frustration to me. You're built to utilize 12 personnel. You go out and get these tight ends in free agency. Why don't you want to use them? I get it that Jacoby Myers is playing great. And I get it that you also got Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar is not that good. You're overpaying him. I'm sorry, but that's a fact. Your offense is much better when he's not out on the field. So it's a sunk cost. Move on. Optimize your offense. Um, And I think that this team will be better both running and passing and protecting Mac Jones if they utilize more 12 personnel. The Jets don't have a good offense. I don't know what they figured out in the bye week. You know, they they take a bye. They had a good shot against an Atlanta Falcons team that had literally no wide receivers. All their wide receivers were down in London. And yet somehow the Atlanta Falcons still put up 27 points on this defense. The win where we pegged 
the Zach Wilson and the Jets to cover the spread. We took them plus seven against the Tennessee Titans in week four, and they won their first game of the season and covered their first spread of the season. What winning the spread, winning the game outright. That was a game where they just chucked the ball down the field and got a little bit lucky. I mean, they did not outstat significantly the Tennessee Titans in that game. I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of success in what we're going to get in the bye week out of this team. I do think it's going to help a young quarterback. It's never a bad thing. But I, I, th- I think the Patriots need to do some more tweaking on the offensive side of the football, for sure. I understand your caution. This is, to me, just a, a classic uh, opportunity for Belichick. And look, maybe it's the case that I need to get off of this. We should stop looking at Belichick through the prism of the past 20 years and all the success and every single stat that you look at uh, that 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 fits his tenure you know, his record against rookie quarterbacks, his, his uh, you know, record in situations where the Patriots have lost games, all of that stuff. Maybe we just need to chuck all that out and say that belonged to an era that no longer exists. And all of the opportunities for value with the Patriots were starting from scratch. It's a new book uh, and, and get rid of that stuff. I still just like the opportunity of people starting to say bad things about Belichick and trying to steal one a uh, little little opportunity here. I I had to pay a tiny bit of juice to get the Patriots minus six and a half. Prior to the 2020 season, I think everybody thought that Bill Belichick was probably the best coach in the NFL. Like that was probably like the most custom uh, customary thought process behind Bill Belichick. I didn't even rank him one or two. Um, I, I think that there are other coaches in there, and now it's even more clear to me that there are other coaches that are better. He was in a great situation with Tom Brady, still a very, very, very good coach. There's no real shame in saying that the guy currently is not a number one or number two or maybe even number three head coach. But there's a number of issues. I I noticed when he had Cam Newton at quarterback that they weren't optimizing things around Cam. I noticed when they have Mac Jones in there, they're not necessarily optimizing things around Mac Jones. I do like it that they are passing and running when they need to. They're going high pass. If they if they are going up against good run defense, they're going a little bit more run-based. If they're going up against a mediocre to poor run defense, like they're not making all these types of mistakes. But there are definite things that are obvious, whether it's the lack of aggression on fourth downs that would give your team an advantage towards winning games, that they have been below average for several years. They rank 12th by my metrics in fourth down tendencies go versus not go when they should be going. Um, so not even a top 10 offense in making those decisions. This season, they're certainly been terrible. Um, but their ability to like get these halftime leads and be productive in games early on enough and know what wins games, it's, it's frustrating to see, see them play just so conservatively and trying to hope that they can win it late as opposed to optimizing the offense play as efficiently as possible from the first snap of that football to try to build up a halftime lead to make life easier on your defense. His defense could be as good as like some of his prior years defenses from a skill set, but if they aren't getting these halftime leads and forcing opposing offenses to predictably have to drop back and pass all the time late in games to rally from behind, his defense is not going to look as good. So that's just the inevitable fact of playing without a lead that the other team's able to do a lot more things and confuse your defense more and trick them more. And so 
eventually it's going to catch up. You know, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, an eternal optimist. And I like what I've seen out of Mac Jones. Maybe it's all the too. Patriots fans in, in, in my head that I just hear them talk thinking, you know, that we, we have a long-term plan here in New England. We're, we're going to go ahead and let this season play out. Bill Simmons had them in the Super Bowl. He's probably wrong about that. That's probably not going to work out. But I think on balance, New England fans would say that they've been pleasantly surprised. At some point, I think, as a glass half full kind of guy, we're going to start to see Mac Jones, you know, going to give him permission to cook a little bit. And and especially the Patriots fans really want to see him in more spread opportunities. And why not right now? Why not this moment? That That's all. That's, that's the thesis for this Patriots uh, laying, you know, only the six and a half, less than a touchdown paying a tiny bit of juice minus 115 is the number that I got of that and I'm I'm going to do it. I'm happy with it. More spread opportunities. I don't want to see spread. I want to see more 12 personnel. I'm fine with them letting him pass more, but they are absolutely going to be more efficient if they stop using three plus wide receiver sets and and focus on the talent acquisition that they got in free agency at the tight end position. I'm just telling you what the, I hear from my Patriots fans. I didn't say that it's smart. I want to talk about something else that's not smart, and that is I'm prepared to lay points with Matt Ryan on the road. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just picked the dumbest thing on the board, and by golly, that is exactly what I'm here to do, Warren Sharp. <laughs> now, we've touched on the Miami Dolphins. We've touched on the Atlanta Falcons. We've touched on the, the, the New York Jets. I have this crazy idea that the Atlanta Falcons – Notwithstanding the absolutely uh, puzzling uh, understates it, incomprehensible lack of offensive coherence, the a, a game plan that made any sense whatsoever. What we saw out of the Atlanta Falcons the first three weeks of this NFL season was just something that I can't understand at all. And I chalk it up to all of, you know, the, the inexperience of, of Arthur Smith, his staff, wh- whatever was going on there, they look like the most lost franchise in the NFL. Well, the last few weeks, and I know it's dumb to be looking at Atlanta's success against teams like the Jets, but I just feel like they're finding, they they draft Kyle Pitts at, 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 at the four slot, and now they're finding Calvin Ridley doesn't play, so they're forced to throw the ball to Pitts. And by golly, Kyle Pitts is good at catching the football. What an unbelievable turn of events. So I, I just like positionally the direction that the Atlanta Falcons seem to be headed. What if they are getting their act together and figuring stuff out? On the other side of this, Miami, it looks to be, and this is, you know, I, I'm I'm raising my hand right now. I know how square this is going to sound. They just lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars in London and are coming back from London and and heading home to host the Atlanta Falcons. It the Miami looks to me to be in in complete disarray. I think that, you know, there was there's rumors this week about Tua on the trade block. I am sorry to say I'm not sure that Tua is uh, going to translate, turn into a competent NFL quarterback. He continues to look to me to be in a big, fat hurry to get rid of the football. He does not take his time. He does not sit in the pocket. You know, a a, a guy, a, a rookie, a young quarterback 
that you you can draw a real good distinction between what we're seeing out of Tua and this guy. Justin Fields sits in the pocket and is prepared to take a hit and you know goes through through the reads and has no problem trying to get the ball down the field. I think we're seeing something different out of Tua. Miami has injuries across the board at so many crucial positions. I know it's uh, it's dumb. I'm prepared to take Atlanta. What do you think? Well, I think that that was definitely the side uh, when this game was early in the week at Pickham. Uh, the open, the open, uh, the look ahead number here was Miami minus three. Obviously, now it's Atlanta minus two and a half. Um, a couple things of note here. One of which, the first of which, is the red zone offense of Arthur Smith's Atlanta Falcons. When we first saw this team, the first couple weeks of the season, we were disappointed because one of the calling cards of Arthur Smith was tremendous efficiency in the red zone when he was with the Tennessee Titans. And he came out and did not look good against the Eagles or against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the first couple of weeks inside of the red zone. So we're like, what, 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 what is this guy doing here? Like, was this just because he had the threat of the running back in Derrick Henry and he was going to make things uh, very difficult for opposing teams to have success uh, or opposing defenses to have success because now he could give the illusion of being a run team and then pass off of that with the play action. But, but what we have seen is the last three games the Atlanta Falcons are converting 80% of their red zone trips into touchdowns, hey now. which is one of the highest rates in the NFL. And they have now moved to the eighth best red zone offense overall on the season, scoring touchdowns on 69%. Another very nice great number uh, reference of that number in this podcast. But they are doing much better inside of the red zone against some worse defenses, admittedly. But what is the Miami Dolphins defense? And that's the frustrating thing to me. It's the same thing that we're seeing with Vic Fangio out in Denver. It's the same thing that we're seeing here with Brian Flores in Miami. And that is, if you're a defensive-minded head coach and you might meddle in what the offense is trying to do on that side of the football, and your defense isn't top 10, no-brainer, tremendous defense, then I got a problem with you. Stay away from the offense. Focus on your side of the ball. Stay like figure out what where you're supposed to be on this staff. And that is you got this job because you're a defensive guru. Fix your damn defense and stop screwing around with this offense. And I like Brian Flores. I think he is a good coach, but my frustrations with him never having confidence in who his offensive coordinator is going to be going after some of the most bizarre offensive coordinator hires that I've seen. You know, Chan Gailey, for example, last (laughs) season. Grandpa Grandpa Gailey. Like, this season, having two guys not actually saying who's actually calling the plays here. um, It's just just mind-boggling to me what you're trying to do offensively. And so we're going to blame Tua for what's going on in Miami when we have... A grandfather who admitted that Tua should not have even been playing last season, like the offense wasn't even geared to him. And now we've got two guys. We don't know who of which, which is guys calling plays, whichever guy is actually calling plays. This is his first time calling plays in the NFL. And once again, we're going to be blaming Tua for that. The other thing that's notable with regard to 
the Miami Dolphins schedule so far this season is I'm going to rattle off the first five opponents that this team has faced. And I want you to think about these opponents through the lens of their run defense. The Indianapolis Colts, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Buffalo Bills, the New England Patriots, and the Las Vegas Raiders. That's the first five opponents for this Miami Dolphins team this year. And those teams rank in run defensive efficiency. Number one, number five, number six, number nine, number 10. Five top 10 run defenses. And so what has Miami done? They've gone to the second highest pass rate of any team in the NFL, which is fine. We like passing the football, but when you're predictable in what you're doing, that's when you can cause some problems for yourself. And they've had to do nothing but pass the football because their rushing offense has been abysmal against these great run defenses. They rank 29th in rushing efficiency. Um, They are not explosive when they try to run the football. And so they've struggled from those respects. Well, now you're going up against the worst run defense that you have faced year to date. The Atlanta Falcons rank 24th against the run. And you may actually have a little bit of success on the ground when you do choose to run the football. Their offensive line has been a disaster. They tried to reshuffle a few things uh, prior to their game against the Jaguars. Now, that's what the Dolphins are on the field from a defensive perspective and from an offensive perspective when they're trying to run the football. When they're trying to pass the football, they are a bad offense that is a little bit too predictable, but they also have been without a couple of their top two wide receivers. And we may see these guys back this week, but it's too early to tell. We have not seen the Friday practice report yet, so I don't know if they're going to have their number one and number two wide receiving threats on the field, but they did not have those guys when they were over in London. Um, And so if they get those guys back, it's definitely going to help their efficiency and their ability to have success against the 30th ranked pass defense of the Atlanta Falcons. The question of the bye, though, House. You know, the question of the bye, we're we're playing this game between two teams that just were in London in their last games that they played. Atlanta was in London and won and then took a bye week. The Dolphins were in London and lost and did not take a bye week. My perspective on that decision is this. I like the decision prior to the season simply because you are a team with playoff aspirations. You want to be healthy late. And their thought process is, we are going to be home from the game in London earlier than we would be if we played in Seattle or we played in San Francisco in one of those 4 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, 1 p.m. local time kickoff games, and then flew back home from west to east. So why not play in London at, what is it, 930 East Coast time? You're going to be home and you're traveling from east to west, making it an easier flight on your body clock. And you're going to be home earlier than you would have if you played out on the West Coast on Sunday afternoon. Let's just play our game next week. And I actually think that this line is overinflated because of the fact that everybody's viewing this as like this most ridiculous travel spot ever. And there's no way they could perform back home against the Atlanta Falcons. And I think that's a little bit ludicrous when you think of the context of if they played in San Francisco or they played in Las Vegas, even at a 4 p.m. or 4.30, 4.25 kickoff, you're going to be getting home much later than you did for this game. So what is the big difference? The issue though, like the only thing that I would have changed, you could not have changed beforehand. And that is if I knew that they were going to be as banged up as they were, 
then yes, it would be lovely to have a bye right now. But there's no way to know that your cornerbacks are going to be out and your wide receivers are going to be out. So we'll just have to see. This is a game that you really need to pay attention to the injury report prior to this game. But frankly, I'm looking at going the opposite direction of the Atlanta Falcons here. And I'm not saying I love it, but if you're going to force me into giving me Dolphins plus three at home against Matt Ryan and the public is on the Atlanta Falcons here laying the points on the road with this caliber of a defense, it's going to be hard for me to uh, not want to take it. This is a Dolphins team that how many games in a row have they lost? Week two, week three, week four, week five, week six. That's five straight games that this team has lost. Now they're playing back at home. They're about to go to Buffalo their very next week. I mean, there's no win for them in sight, but this game, they've got to fix some things. If they can get healthy, maybe this is a get right spot for them. Damn it. All right. I'm off of it. I'm off the Falcons. You just the Falcon, I, to- I told you though, before and, you know, off air as well as on air that the Atlanta Falcons were a very sharp, uh, spot that some people took down when it was at a pick them. And thus far there has not been any buyback. There has not been any slew of Miami Dolphins money at this number yet. Well, we we both might win. If it I, I I might play a smaller amount on the two and a half, and you might get it might get to three by Sunday morning, and then you you can jump in on on the three and we might both win. Well, we can't both win, but yes. Well I you know a win and a push. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I hope I I hope I win and you lose if that's the scenario. But but um I don't know if I'm even going to be on it yet. So I'm glad. I'm glad we talked it through. <laughs> uh, I, I've been persuaded to be cautious. You have something that you uh, have a particular fondness for this week. I think this is the only one so far with with any conviction out of the Sharp Analytics Group on, on a side, and it's happening in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, it is, and I like the Philadelphia Eagles here for a variety of reasons. Um, I think that they could be in a good spot. Now, number one, this is a team that has a little bit of extra rest heading into this game, right? Because they last played on Thursday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But if you look at the Philadelphia Eagles over their last five games, look at the ridiculous offenses that they've had to go up against. They have played the number one offense of the Bucs, the number two offense of the Chiefs, the number which both met in the Super Bowl, obviously, last year, the number four offense of the Cowboys, which is playing absurdly great this year, and the number nine offense of the 49ers when they did have Jimmy G at full health. I mean, that's four top 10 offenses that the Eagles defense has had to play in their last five games. So should we be shocked that their defense hasn't looked incredible when you're going up against all these great quarterbacks and great overall offenses? Probably not. Now they get to face the number 22 ranked Raiders offense with extra time to get the defense ready and get the defense healthy. Um, the thing about this game that, you know, the Raiders aren't a bad team. The Raiders are a, a, a certainly above average team. They've impressed a lot of people. They surprised the league with the way that they started undefeated. Um, and they were definitely the talk of the town for a little while. But the problem with the Raiders is when you look at their offense and what they're best at, they are almost like a one trick pony from the respect that they can't run the ball and they pass at a fairly high rate. 
And so you're not really going to be able to take advantage of the weakness of this Philadelphia Eagles defense, which is against the run. They rank, the Eagles rank 25th against the run, but they rank 12th against the pass, despite playing the fifth toughest schedule of opposing passing offenses, including number one toughest over the last five games. So they've done much better against the pass, despite playing a much more difficult schedule of passing teams, much worse against the run. Raiders can't run the football. So what exactly are the Raiders going to have to do where they're going to revert back to what they've been doing at a fairly high rate, which is passing the football. But, you know, they have the third highest pass rate in the NFL. But overall, their passing offense is just 15th in efficiency. Um, Where their strength is, is these explosive passes that you see. The Henry Ruggs deep shots, the shots that they were dropping in over the Baltimore Ravens. The problem with that against the Philadelphia Eagles is Jonathan Gannon's defense is specifically designed like a couple of defenses have been designed a little bit more frequently around the league of late over the last couple of years. And that is, we're okay if you run the ball a little bit against us, but you're not going to beat us deep. We're not going to give up these explosive pass plays over the top. The Eagles right now rank fourth best in the NFL at preventing these explosive pass plays, pass plays that gain 20 plus yards. They're the fourth best defense. So the Raiders strength is matched by the Eagles strength uh, defensively. And that is the Eagles are good against the pass, but specifically great defending these explosive plays. So if the Raiders elect to still pass the ball a lot, but not take advantage of where the Eagles are weak, that's going to be a problem and limit the offensive output of the Las Vegas Raiders. The other side of the ball is the trickier side because this Philadelphia Eagles team, yes, they do get the services back of Lane Johnson, the right tackle. And yes, they have disappointed year to date in offensive production and they rank uh, as an offense 18th in efficiency. So below average, Um, they're actually much better when they run the football, but they don't run the football very often. Um, So it's an interesting offense to try to peg as to like, what could they do against this defense, which is a good defense, top 15. It's the 15th best defense in the NFL. They haven't really played a lot of good opponents, but they're the 15th. But here's my big concern if I'm looking at the Raiders. Over the last month, the Raiders have played some interesting offenses. They played the number 11 Chargers offense, and they were down 21 to nothing at halftime. You can say, okay, throw that out. That was a number 11 Chargers offense. The Eagles aren't close to that. Don't worry about the Eagles. Okay, well, you want to find a couple offenses that are worse than the Eagles? How about the number 30th ranked Miami Dolphins offense? We just talked about them. Or how about the number 26th ranked Chicago Bears offense who have a rookie quarterback making his first road start? You want to say that the Eagles are better then those two, probably yes. I think that that's pretty obvious. You know, the Dolphins were up 14 to nothing in the first quarter of that game. Uh, the the Raiders rallied to win that game. Do you know that the Bears were up 14 to three at halftime and beat the Raiders? So we've seen some bad offenses still have success early in games against this Raiders defense. I think the Eagles could fall into the same grouping there have a little bit of early success, stop these deeper bombs that the Raiders are going to throw in comeback mode. And you could be looking at an Eagles team that goes out to Las Vegas and wins this game outright. Well, and and, uh, as we've talked about on this show, if you're going to play the Eagles with the number, you got to put something on the money line as well. Uh, I like the idea that that Lane Johnson, the right tackle is coming back this week. And we know the Eagles... Yeah, their their fan base has been dying for them to run the football a bit more, mainly to create 
you know, a bit more unpredictability, unpredictability. That's not the word uncertainty, uncertainty, uh, offense. They don't like, you know, the Eagles fans that I'm, I'm pals with, um, feel like the offense has been a, t- a tad too one dimensional with the short passes game of, of Hertz. And they, you know, we understand some of the rationale why, um, they want Hertz to, to kind of play that way. And that's the, the, the offensive scheme, but they want the, the, the Eagles running the ball a bit more. And then they, they would like to see that come out of, uh, Hertz's legs as well. Um, so I, I do with the return of Lane Johnson, like the idea of, of the Eagles maybe getting up and maybe controlling the ball a little bit with, with, with the rush. And we know that the Raiders, as you just went through mediocre, uh, against the rush. So I, I, I like the spot Well, I, I'm going to play the Eagles. I like the number and I'm going to play some on the money line. Let's go. Let's get it house. Let's go get it. Speaking of going and get it, we are at the point in the show when we get to get a little bit exotic. These are Joe house exotics. I am looking at two different plays. This, there, there just were not a ton of opportunity this week. I want to say right up front to everybody listening. Um, I have a five-leg money line parlay, and I have a five-leg teaser. I had to work hard to come up with, with both of these. I feel like I might um, tamp down the money line parlay a little bit. So he, here's, as always, we go through these, and I ask you who's going to mess this up for me. So the money line parlay, it's a plus 355, five-leg money line parlay. The teams I have are... The Packers against the WFT. We don't need to discuss it. They're, the Packers are at home at Lambeau against the speaking of teams in, in, in disarray. I'm perfectly fine with that. The Chiefs, we went through uh, at, at the top of the show um, in, in an exhaustive manner. I like them this week. The Patriots, for all the reasons we went through. And 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 then uh, Tampa, in, in a, you know, just as a, just have to beat the Bears, beat the rookie quarterback. The fifth leg of this is the Carolina Panthers in New York. And I, I'm just telling you right now, I have some questions about the Panthers. I might change this. I know it's going to affect the odds, um, probably bring it closer to like two to one kind of odds rather than the plus 355 because Carolina is only a minus 150 favorite. These are five favorites on a money line parlay. Which of these five um, do you have r- reservations about? Man, um, I do, I do like the Packers. Obviously, that's that's the second heaviest one that you've got here. Um, I don't know. I, I I really don't love this one house. Um, there's a, there's a few guys that could scare you. Obviously, you need to get a, a a team that has a little bit more upside to get a better payout. But even Carolina playing against this Giants team scares me a little bit. It I don't feel me. a lot of com- I, a lot of I'm comfort level there. Um, me either. I think the Patriots won't be upset. I think this is a good spot for them. So I think that they are relatively safe. Um, you know, the Bucks, they theoretically should be able to win this game. It shouldn't be that uh, much of a threat for them. My biggest concern here is the run rate of the Chicago Bears. If Chicago comes out this game and changes their mindset and decides to pass the ball early enough, like all the other teams that have gone up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, there's no real reason for Tampa to try to win this game with any large margin, um, especially with Gronk out and AB potentially nursing a little bit of an injury. That being said, like what confidence level do we have in Matt Nagy? Like, I hope for the Bears fans that he does unleash Justin Fields a little bit, but he's just so 
reserved in wanting to do that. And I think that he looks at probably last week's game against the Packers and they got out to a seven point lead and they were only down by three late. And they did this run first approach once again, the third straight week. And he feels like, okay, we were competitive. We were a player two away. Let's not change too much. The problem is you have to be able to like foresee the future, you know, predict what's going to happen. When you're coaching, you have to look at the matchup and this is just a bad matchup. You have to take the training wheels off Justin Fields here. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there, but um, I hope for anybody that's holding a Bears ticket and I'm hopeful that for anybody who is a Bears fan or a Justin Fields fan for that perspective, let's see what the kids got. Yeah, passing the ball on early downs against this Bucks secondary. Um, but I do think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers likely win that game. So uh, just from a money perspective, I will say money's moved against Carolina. Money's moved against Green Bay. Money's moved against Kansas City um, to some extent. And a little bit of money's moved against the Patriots. So, I mean, money has gone against the games that you're picking here um, early on in the week. So I, I just don't know that I love this, this uh, setup you've got here, but well, and, and I'm, I, like I said, this, this week is a tough slate. Um, I don't, I don't have firm conviction. I'm playing it at one unit. It's plus three fifty five, And you know, we, this is, this is a hold, hold your nose money line parlay. This teaser that I've concocted, I like to do a five leg teaser every week as well. One unit pays out, um, plus four fifty on this. And there are only to me two genuine teaser legs this week. Um, one being the green Bay Packers who are favored by, I think they're favored by eight or eight and a half at most books at this point, you tease them through the seven and the three, you get down to green Bay minus two at home against the Washington football team. That's kind of a no brainer. And then the other <laughs> conventional teaser leg, and we just talked about this game at length, is taking Miami from the two and a half and shooting them up to eight and a half. And there's a bunch of reasons that you just went through as to why Miami could be an interesting side. So I just love the idea of getting through the three and the seven with Miami. And it balances out a little bit in this teaser uh, construct, you know, the, my, my inclination to play something on Atlanta laying the two and a half. So those are the only two like, um, you know, Stanford Wong teaser legs that, that, that we, that we like, uh, from an analytics perspective, I built out the rest of this teaser and I know you're going to yell at me for two different aspects of it. One, I grabbed that stupid Kansas city, Tennessee total at 57 and a half and tease it down to 51 and a half. I know you don't want me to do that. Um, and then the other thing, uh, that I did was grab the Eagles at plus three tease them up to plus nine and the Patriots who are at six and a half or seven down to a half or, or minus one just to round out the teaser here. I am prepared to accept all of the criticism that you are, are, are about to levy against this. Which leg of this um, silly teaser do you like the least? Well, that's clear. It's the total because you, a, you, you don't even get... <laughs> You don't even get through the 51, which is the most yeah. key number uh, when you're getting into the 50s that exists. But with the others, all I can say is this, like Miami, that's a great teaser leg. Green Bay, that's a great teaser leg. Um, and then New England and Philly. Look, I would be shocked if Philly doesn't close below three anyways. Um, and with New England, look, that was already on your list. And what do we know that's smart to do? Um, when you are a sharp betting group, when you have a strong conviction about your card, and if you have a good enough track record about the 
um, let's see, opportunities that you've identified for mispriced lines in the marketplace where you think the line is wrong. That's really, I think we need to realize this. You're not betting, nobody should be betting games just to have action. Uh, nobody should be betting games just to have something to cheer for. You should theoretically be betting games where you find a misprice in the marketplace, where you think the line should be a little bit different. That's the only reason that you would be betting on something. Why would you bet into minus 110 juice if the line is right, right? Like you're going to lose. It's a, You're going to lose your shirt. That's just dumb to do. So you got to feel like the line is wrong. So let's pretend that you think that the Patriots game should be a different line. That's the reason you have identified it. You, this is the reason why you want to lay the Patriots um, minus six and a half, or, you know, you should be able to find a minus six and a half, but let's pretend it was minus seven when you went to bet. That's why you would want to lay the Patriots minus seven. I have nothing wrong. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to get more action on that by also adding that in a teaser leg, even though technically you're not going through the seven, right? Like you are trying to maximize your opportunity. You think the line should be higher. You're maximizing your opportunity. It's the same theory with the Eagles. They are three. You're not going through the three, but if you're betting them at three also because you think the number is wrong, then I have zero problem with you including the Eagles in a six-point teaser. So I don't really have any issue with any of the options that you've identified here with the exception of just teasing a total as a no-no. We're not going to do it. How about that? Everybody listening, strike that, cross that out. I'm not playing that. I'm not playing that total. It's, it's, you know, I was, I was trying to think through, um, game now scenarios. Look, if, you, if you, if you like, if you like the over, that's one thing, bet the over. Um, I think over 51 and a half should probably hit as well, but yeah. it's just, it's, it's just, it's if not you, an efficient use of, of this, this teaser. It's mechanism. not an efficient you know, use of the method. You, correct. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab the Baltimore Ravens sitting at six and a half and just tease them down to a half because we, I, I do like, we talked it through. It was a good conversation. I like the Ravens. It's the same idea as, as you know, the Ravens winning. I like the, the idea of the Bengals being competitive, but the Ravens at home, the Ravens with the ambition they have and what they've showed a resiliency, that defense has been, you know, smoke and mirrors. And yet they here they are with only one loss. And I think they want to come out a division rival and put the Bengals back in their place. We're going to tease the Ravens from six and a half down to a half point. That's going to be the fifth leg of this teaser, this five-way teaser, Warren Sharp. There you go. There you go. There we go. See, he didn't even yell at me. We're taking the total out. He said what he said is good luck. We've done it. I, I and I will say this: I don't hate the total itself, and I certainly like it better when you're getting 51 and a half. But just it's not the best spot to utilize in a teaser. But I wish you luck on that house. I wish you luck on all of the action. Great conversation throughout, and everybody listening at home, obviously. Best of luck to you guys as well. We will be back on Monday with Chris Vernon to review the biggest stories from the weekend. Special thanks to Joe House for going over some of his bets and talking to me about them. Thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht for producing this show. Everybody, great luck this week. We will see you on Monday. <laughs>